from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, the state program helping the thousands of West Virginia grandparents who are raising grandchildren. Also this evening, a conversation with the co-chairs of a new bipartisan tech caucus. That's later in the program, but first, senior reporter Dave Mistich joins us for a news update. Dave, welcome. Thank you. The, the day started very early on this Monday morning, especially right. for, some, uh, for some citizens who drove in, right. uh, some were saying hundreds of miles, uh, for a public hearing on House Bill 4615, the West Virginia Critical Infrastructure Protection Act. Right. Tell us about it. Sure, so 26 uh, people took part in this public hearing. Uh, we're gonna note before we throw to some clips that only three people spoke in support of it. So overwhelmingly, there was a lot of opposition to this bill. Um, they talked a lot about First Amendment rights to free expression, free speech, um, and that, that this bill would limit the, uh, one's ability to protest pipelines or at various industrial sites. Um, you know, chemical plants, all sorts of different types of what, what are deemed critical infrastructure. We'll take a listen right now from Chad Cordell. He's with the Canal Forest Coalition, and he spoke about some protests that took place in Kentucky recently uh, that where miners were had their pay withheld, and, you know, they, they, they blocked trains in Kentucky. There was two different instances. So, again, this is Chad Cordell from the Canal Forest Coalition. Now imagine for a moment those actions occurring here in West Virginia with HB 4615 in effect. Imagine a circumstance where employees of a port or a trucking terminal or a compressor station don't get paid for their work and are forced to, to quote from the bill, impede or inhibit operations, unquote, at their place of employment so that they can get paid and put food on their table and make their house payments. Then imagine mothers and fathers being arrested and charged with felonies and spending one to three years locked up in prison. Imagine their families and neighbors who joined them also locked up in cages for one to three years. And imagine those who didn't join them but supported them or brought them pizza, also arrested, charged with misdemeanors and fined $5,000 for, again, to quote from the proposed bill, conspiring to commit the offense of trespass against a critical infrastructure infrastructure facility, unquote. This bill is harmful and it is wrong. And you heard there him, uh, Mr. Cordell, sort of outlining the various penalties for this. Again, it would be trespassing, vandalism, or conspiring with the people that committed those acts. Um, again, as we pointed out, a lot of opposition to this bill. Uh, we're going to hear right now from one person uh, that was that spoke in support of the bill. Here's Ann Blankenship. She's the executive director of the West Virginia Oil and Gas Association. Simply put, this bill protects national and state security and economic interest and our safety, while at the same time protects constitutional rights and free speech. We've heard a lot today from people that have traveled all over the state that feel passionately and are fearful of this bill and are worried that it's going to take away their constitutional uh, right to free speech and their lawful, pe peaceful protest, and that is just not the case. 
The bill is intended to pre preempt acts of intentional trespass and damage to critical infrastructure facilities. The bill is narrowly ta tailored and applies to critical infrastructure facilities that are defined in the bill similarly to the Federal Homeland Security list of 16 critical infrastructure facilities and categories that are specifically called out to be protected and monitored because of their unique and interrelated importance to America's national security and economic stability. That bill did pass out and now it'll go to the to the full house That's for right. a vote. That's right. um, the intermediate courts bill was up for passage today in the Senate. Tell us about that. That's right. So we've heard uh, opposition from Democrats all along. They say that this is unneeded, that it's too expensive, that we're spending resources on something to where we could should be paying attention to other things. Um, you know, there were amendments up last week that an amendment that failed that would have added criminal cases to the bill. Uh, again, this is just civil cases involved. Uh, it would create this intermediate court of appeals between uh, the circuit courts and the state Supreme Court of Appeals. We're here right now from uh, Delegate uh, Mike Wolfel. He's a Democrat from Cabell County. Senator. He, excuse me, Senator Mike Wolfel. We're over in the Senate now. So uh, <laughs> Senator Mike Wolfel over uh, a Democrat from Cabell County about his opposition to the intermediate court of appeals. Earlier, a person named Mike Graney was under oath down the hall here. Mr. Graney is the, <clears throat> he's in charge of recruiting new companies to West Virginia. He's the executive director of our development office. I asked him the top five factors for business locating in West Virginia. Here's what he said. Workforce availability, workforce training, tax credits and other incentives, renewable energy footprint, flat land, and he went on from there. He didn't recall ever being asked about whether we had an intermediate court of appeals. Well, for all of those points that were made, Dave, uh, the, the judiciary chair made his points as well. That's right. And, uh, of course, the Republicans have, have been in the support, this support of this bill for the past few years. It's gotten out of the Senate, but not gotten anywhere in the House. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, uh, Senator Trump. Um, you know, he spoke at length about costs um, and how, you know, uh, there's, there's this, um, the fiscal notes don't exactly paint the, the, the exact picture because there's going to be some savings in there. Um, he talked about studies that have, been, that have been requested on the need for an intermediate court of appeals going as far back as 20 plus years, 22 years. Uh, and we'll hear now in this clip, you know, Senator Trump's uh, arguments in support of the intermediate court of appeals. It has been said by others that this state, that West Virginia is the largest state in the union that does not have an intermediate appellate court. That's true. The state has needed one for a long time. Experts, which the state has asked to help us envision the future of our judiciary in 1998 and again in 2009, have recommended it. It is not a partisan question, it is a question of justice. And I reject absolutely the claims that this is going to be bad for people who are fighting with uh, oil and gas companies, or it's going to be bad for this or that other class of people. This is going to improve, Mr. President, and enhance the process of review for every West Virginian. This will improve the structure of appellate review 
If the bill contains language that guarantees an appeal of right, something that does not now exist in our law. It will guarantee an appeal of right. And Dave, the final vote. That's right. And the, the, the Senate voted 18 to 14 and, uh, and the bill passed. Uh, I should mention that two Republicans broke with the majority. That'd be uh, Senator Bill Hamilton of Upshur County and Senator Charles Clements of Wetzel County. Uh, they joined Democrats in opposition to the bill. Uh, 18 to 14 vote again. Now it heads to the House of Delegates. All right. Also in the Senate on third reading today, uh, the Born Alive bill. Now you've been following that. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, I think that all the reporters that were in the back of the Senate chamber expected there to be more conversation about this. Uh, over in the House of Delegates uh, last month, whenever this bill passed, it was one of the it was early on in the session. Um, there was a lot of conversation. Um, delegates. Uh, and what does it do? It does. So what it does is it um, it calls on doctors to to use reasonable medical judgment uh, in the event of an unsuccessful abortion. Now, Democrats, like I was saying back in the in the House of Delegates, all called this uh, a bill that does nothing. They called it a political stunt, and we didn't hear a lot of that conversation in the Senate. It was it was very straightforward. Um, Senator Mike Romano of Harrison County, a Democrat, uh, stood up and spoke in support of the bill. Um, but he, he did have some, some comments in there that sort of echoed some of the comments from the House of Delegates by Democrats over there. We'll take a listen to Senator Romano's comments here. I stand in support of this bill for several reasons. But the most important reason is that a child born alive who would somehow be killed, that would be murder. It would clearly be murder. There's nobody doing that. And if they do do it, they're in jail. And I think this is a good example of not putting West Virginians first. I think this is worried about a political gamble, a bill that isn't going to change anything, but we've spent so much time on instead of taking care of the West Virginians who are born, who are living in this state, the children who don't have parents, who don't have food, who don't have a good education. But I... And Dave, the ultimate vote on this one. Yeah, it was 32 to zero. Uh, it was amended in Senate Judiciary uh, with a strike and insert. And because of that, it was just one line that was added to the bill. Um, because it was changed in the Senate, it now goes back to the House of Delegates for them to concur. Um, you know, given the, the minor change and what the vote was over in the House, I think one could expect this to, to clear pretty quickly, so. All right, Dave Mistich, thank you so much. Thank you. It's estimated 50,000 West Virginia children are now being raised by grandparents. Randy Oe reports on the state-funded Healthy Grand Families program designed to help. It sounds like it directly translates into a better life for the children. Visiting with some Healthy Grand Family clients, Kanawha County Delegate Diana Graves' question was easy to answer. Andy Roberts understands that he and granddaughter Tesla represent more than 80% of the West Virginia grand families formed due to a young parent's substance abuse. The children were most important, so they were going to lose them to strangers, which we couldn't see that ever happen. So, so Andy and Debbie Roberts had to relearn parenting with Tesla and grandson Preston, a challenge helped by enrolling in West Virginia State University's Healthy Grand Families program, an intervention to help navigate today's systems and find resources. Some programs like when you go to the doctor, make sure you take a list. Your health is just as important as hers because as you've aged, you're no longer 30 raising kids. An online dating service put single grandparents Gigi and Mike together about a year ago. Their profiles included 
Gigi raising Juliana, Matthew, and Dylan, and Mike raising Audriana and Trinity. Gigi says a healthy grand family's intervention helps the happily combined group function both now and later. Getting our medical histories together and it even gave us these little binders and everything so we can pass one of the children, you know, because when we're dead and gone, the parents aren't going to be around to tell them. The legislature allocated $300,000 in seed money last year, getting the program started in all 55 counties. Delegate Graves says there is bipartisan support for the same funding this year and next, and then Healthy Grand Families is on its own. It's envisioned that this program will be self-sufficient because insurance companies are starting to kick in and helping to fund this program. So if, we could, if the state can maintain this for a couple more years, I think it would do enormous good. Our state cannot afford for these children to go into foster care because foster care does not have enough homes. Andy and Debbie were planning on retiring to Cancun and sipping margaritas on the beach. They say being here for their grandkids is ten times better. I mean, they're your own as grandchildren, but you can always send them home. <laughs> now you can't send them home, so uh, it's great to have them, and we love them. And the, the, the gratitude that you get from the children for loving you back, you, you can't put a price on it. Children who the grandparents say will be raised to be good people and good West Virginia citizens. I'm Randy Yowie for the Legislature Today. New this year at the Legislature, the Bipartisan Tech Caucus, open to lawmakers and the public. Join us now are the co-chairs, Delegate Moore Capito, a Republican of Kanawha County, and Delegate Sean Fluharty, Democrat of Ohio County. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, Ray. And isn't that refreshing, a bipartisan, <laughs> a bipartisan focus? Um, Delegate Capito, let's begin with you. Um, I've heard you talk about that entrepreneurial spirit in West Virginia. Um, you saying that there's really brilliance out there that exists already in our workforce um, and, and in our high schools and in our colleges. Uh, tell us first, let's start about uh, talking about that, what you've already seen up to this point. Well, I think that we're all here because we believe in the brilliance and, uh, of the people of the state of West Virginia. And I've always said that uh, West Virginians do have that entrepreneurial spirit, very deep, uh, I think, in their core. And when we look at transitioning into the 21st century, we kind of want to look at what, what are the jobs that are going to be out there in the 21st century and how do we train our children to be prepared for those jobs. And what, what I've found from talking, now I'm a millennial, but I'm kind of on the bookend. So, um, but what, what I've found from talking to, to our younger set in West Virginia, or what are the things that encourage them to want to stay in West Virginia? They want to be their own boss. They want to take risks. They're willing to fail. Um, and those are some of the, the beautiful things about uh, these seeds that get planted, these entrepreneurial seeds that get planted. And so we want to encourage that. And I think the whole purpose here was to kind of educate uh, some of our fellow colleagues on some of the movements that are taking place in West Virginia to do that. Okay, uh, Delegate Fluharty, your, your hopes for the, the Tech Caucus, the message that you're sending. Well, as you said in the beginning, how often do we have a bipartisan coalition built? And I have to give mm -hmm. credit to Moore and Roger Hanshaw for kind of getting this idea together and bringing me on board. And you're seeing a bipartisan effort now to change our economy, and I think that's the goal here. Uh, the Milken Institute, which is a nonpartisan think tank institute, says that West Virginia ranks 48th in technology workforce. So we know that in 2020, if you want to compete in today's economy, you must go to where the market is. And we learned that from former Cisco CEO and West Virginian John Chambers last week. He said, we have been riding the wave 
uh, for far too long when it comes to uh, our current economic model, which is a rather narrowly defined one, and we know that, that we must diversify our economy, and the wave is about over, and we can't ride that wave forever. We must change with the, with the times and not be scared to fail and move forward. And I think that's what you're seeing, the ideas that are coming forward with this caucus, and hopefully we'll translate into legislation going forward and, and change our economy and diversify and do things to ready ourselves for 2020 and beyond. Uh, Delegate Capito, mm -hmm. um, uh, Delegate Fluharty mentioned uh, uh, John Chambers, who was here, and that's something that's just uh, pretty exciting about the group. You're bringing in some big names. John Chambers, of course, from West Virginia. Um, I know that you had a group from Apple uh, earlier this month, or maybe it was last month. Um, so, so tell us what you're learning a little bit more about what you're learning from these very successful, uh, very successful ventures. Well, I think any time that you can lend a, a name uh, that has credibility and that people know and can associate with uh, a lot of the everyday kind of toys that they play with in their pocket. You think about Apple we had last month. Uh, I think that was tremendously impactful. They gave us a presentation on what the future of education look like, looks like in the United States. Where are other states that are implementing uh, curriculum that's becoming effective and where they're seeing kind of their 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 next generation crop being cultivated uh, we had a group that presented to us on the SBIR matching grant program which we were all very pleased to get through last year and fund uh, that provides small business and innovative research which is tremendously exciting then of course last week as Sean mentioned and you mentioned we had John Chambers so anytime I think you get a, a big uh, a booming name and of course a native son uh, like John Chambers, it adds credence to the movement, but I think we talked about uh, you can't really get anything through. It's tough to get something through this body unless you educate the folks about about what's going on. And so the first step is to make sure that everybody's uh, educated on, on on the movement that we're trying to trying to accomplish. And next week we're excited to to have Uber in. And uh, so I told everybody today on the floor to get their app downloaded and familiarize themselves because we have another big name. So it's really caught great traction and it's great caught great bipartisan traction, which is tremendously exciting for me. I don't want to speak for Sean, but I think that's that's refreshing. Mm -hmm. to hear in these halls. Uh, Delegate Fluharty, will there be um, legislation proposed coming from some of these ideas that, uh, that you all are discussing? Will it translate into policy? I believe it will, and I think that's the goal at the end of the day, is to, to educate not just our colleagues, but ourselves in the process, and build West Virginia from the bottom up with a foundation starting with our children, and what can we do uh, from K through 12? What can we do with higher education policy? Because as we learned from John Chambers, that uh, technology, technology, those who are hiring in that sector, they go to where the jobs are. And young people are migrate more than ever before. They go to where they have a high quality of living and where the jobs may be, and the jobs follow them. So it's a unique opportunity for West Virginia to embrace that change. And we can do it now. The, the, the time is not over. The time is now. And we're realizing that. And I think you're seeing the bipartisan effort to say, look, guys, stop playing politics. Let's get things done. And this is a great opportunity for us to do so because those who are coming to the table are coming from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and, and really just one goal in mind. And to improve West Virginia and make tomorrow look better than today. Uh, other thoughts in that area, Delegate Capital? Well, absolutely. I think one of the interesting things that we discuss is, you know, patience isn't always the virtue that uh, 
you know, that we have uh, in, in this body. But one of the interesting messages we've heard is the policies that we put in place now uh, tend to bear fruit, not tomorrow, but three, five, and seven years down the road. So I think we have to trust in, in, in kind of some of these uh, policies that we're trying to push for. We do have some bills. We have some bills that are providing further funding mechanisms for some of our ma matching programs. Uh, we've got a fintech bill out there right now that's trying to pr promote entrepreneurship in, in the banking and financial institution areas. Sometimes those bills aren't easy to swallow. I mean, there are pieces of those bills that not everybody likes. We, you know, Sean and I have talked a lot about these. We're trying to get them to a place that everybody can, can buy in. But, you know, we all have our bills that we, that we care about. And uh, in this particular area, I think that uh, we found an area where there's a lot of common ground. So it's really exciting. Well, let me ask you, you are a member of the House Technology and Infrastructure mm -hmm. Committee. Um, last week passed out its version of House Bill 4015, and that's uh, the big broadband expansion. And we've all talked about how that is so necessary um, for, for your tech development. Tell us, tell us basically what that does. Well, I think so. From the first, from my first uh, session here in, in the West Virginia Legislature, we've had a broadband bill every year, mm -hmm. and so we've tried to figure out what are the what are the pieces, what are the regulatory pieces that we can kind of put forward to encourage expansion of broadband. We have a tremendous senator uh, that has an initiative, <laughs> Broadband Connect. Um, I think my mother's done a great job at, at promoting expansion of broadband. We've seen some trunk lines that have been installed. Uh, we were excited about the Facebook announcement in, in Raleigh County. Certainly broadband plays a large role in this, but I don't think broadband's the only, it, this is limited to broadband. I mean, we need to look at broadband and 5G and white space technology. What are all of these, you know, we live in a difficult, topographically speaking, we live in a difficult part of the state. So what are all of the different ways that we can get everybody connected? And I think that that's something we're interested in learning about. Uh, Delegate Fluharty, uh, you know, looking forward, moving forward, um, wh what else is, is on the, the plate for this uh, caucus? Well, I took at heart what John Chambers said last week, and it was what, if you are unwilling to be a disruptor, you become disrupted yourself. And as a state, we have to be willing to take risks and move forward in a direction that is new and challenging, but one that at the end of the day will help us prosper and diversify our economy. Now, we have been an economy that is identified as essentially an extraction state. Now, we will always identify as that, but that is not who we can only be. We can diversify our economy, be more than just an extraction state, and be our only identity. I think we want to add more to our economy in that way when we diversify. If you build it, they will come, right? We are suffering from a net population loss year in and year out. What can we do to cause net migration to West Virginia, make our state a destination location and not a departure state, which has been for far too long? And, and how can you do that? I know that there are several bills, and this is maybe where you two diverge, uh, there are several bills that uh, both parties are saying, this is what we need to pass, this is what we need here in order to be more attractive. Well, you, you focus on what the market's going to look like five and ten years down the road so that our young people as they go through K through 12 and they've entered the job market, are those jobs here in West Virginia or are they going to Silicon Valley and elsewhere? Are they going to Colorado, which is growing right now as a technological hub? In Pennsylvania, they've really doubled down, especially the city of Pittsburgh. They've kind of re-energized themselves in a way that says we're going to advance in technology in our city. So I think we focus on where the market is going, not where it's currently at and that's where there's risk involved but with major risk can come major reward. Uh, Delegate Capito, I know that you've looked uh, elsewhere too for for models. Um, I, I believe you mentioned something about a Benjamin Franklin 
yeah. uh, fund or a group in Pennsylvania, and that that was something that you know we could model here. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, they made a commitment, I think, in Governor Tom Ridge's term as governor in, in Pennsylvania, where they stood up basically an in, a, a structure, uh, an infrastructure kind of uh, an ecosystem of entrepreneurship and innovation uh, groups throughout the state. Uh, one's in the Valley, one's up near Penn State, one's in Philadelphia, and one's in Pittsburgh. I've had a visit to Pittsburgh, met with several people that are involved in that, and, and essentially, there, there, there is a great divergence on whether, you know, what government's role is in providing aid to those sorts of groups. In Pennsylvania, they've provided, I think, this last budget. I, I'm not sure where it was, but I saw a $6 million number. Now, that's certainly not something that West Virginia can do. But I think it's, it's more of the attitude that we can put forth to that community to tell them that we are um, invested with energy, we are invested with commitment, uh, we are looking at uh, ways that we can uh, energize and invigorate uh, the entrepreneurial uh, uh, and innovation community in West Virginia. There are ways that I would love to have a Ben Franklin investment infrastructure in West Virginia. I have a bill out there somewhere to do that, but that might not be something that we can get to this year. But what we certainly can do is we can we can find creative ways to pro to provide assistance and structural support for some of the groups that exist in West Virginia to promote those those movements. Okay, real quickly, we've got a, a moment for some final thoughts on the on the Tech Caucus. Well, I think it's something new, refreshing for people to see when a bipartisan organization can come together, uh, that those who not only serve but watch your show and they get frustrated day in and day out about what's going on in our state, now we have something we can all look at and be proud of and hopefully have a great product at the end of the day. And Delegate Capito. I think uh, Sean nailed it, absolutely. This has been a, a, a group that's been able to get together and bring folks from both of our caucuses together. I think it's been tremendous, tremendously uh, refreshing, and I'm glad to be able to do it with Sean. That's terrific. Delegate Moore Capito and Delegate Sean Fluharty, co-chairs of the Bipartisan Tech Caucus. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow in the legislature today, producer Roxy Todd puts a focus on the plight of the small West Virginia farmer. She'll also speak with the state agriculture commissioner and the chair of the Senate Agriculture and Rural Development Committee. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.